Good morning, church. Uh, many people have been asking when I come back to uh, the pulpit. Surprise! It's today. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if I should share uh, my testimony uh, today, but I believe that the Lord has a different message for us, so we have to wait for another time. But uh, do join me to give thanks uh, to the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, truly you are a promise keeper. I thank you, Lord, that you have saved me. I did not die. I am alive. And now I stand to recount the deeds of the Lord. Since it pleases you to continue using me as a servant of your word, give me strength and come by your spirit and speak to your people who need to hear the words of life. Come, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across uh, this post, uh, nicknames for co-workers on Instagram. Hmm. There are several versions of this, but I took this from the language nerds. Uh, the nicknames and descriptions are jumbled up because we're going to have some audience interaction. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read out each description and you're going to call out the correct nickname, okay? I know this is a more mature and a conservative group, not like the yesterday one, but I mean, if you mutter under your breath, okay, it's fine, huh? Mm. Okay, so uh, first one, who is always having a break? Yeah, right. Who does just enough not to get fired? <laughs> does just enough, get it? Uh, just enough, yes. All right, not the sharpest tool in the box. Button knife, yeah, cannot cut with that one. Eh? <laughs> Only works when someone walks past. Yeah, my favorite design, yeah. Just wants to go home. E.T. There's a cultural reference here that uh, is beyond my age, yeah. yeah. Uh, then, yeah, not, 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 you don't need to identify yourselves. <laughs> um, where was I? No, not very bright and has to be carried. And of course, the last one is blister. Always shows up when the work is done. Hey. If we live long enough, we will all have experience with people who fit the descriptions above, whether in school, at work, in church, or during NS. Not saying that you can therefore call them nicknames. Not saying that. Okay. But now, suppose you have to work with such people. And suppose you have been praying to God because of them. And suppose God appears to you in a dream tonight and says, Ask what I shall give you. What will you wish for? Will you wish for power? Dear God, please make me the boss so I can sack them. Will you wish for money? Please make me rich so that I don't have to work with them anymore. Oh, you, will you wish for a miracle? Please make them disappear. Hey, don't like that. Transfer them out, lah, huh? make them resign. Ah, make them rich. Then they don't have to work. Our Old Testament passage for today shows us that there is a more excellent way. Ask for godly wisdom to live with problematic people. Star of our passage, King Solomon, is well known for his wisdom. Verse 12 records the moment Solomon receives wisdom from God. Yet, before verse 12, before that moment, Solomon was not the wisest man, but an ordinary man with troubles in his life. Burdened by his troubles, Solomon frequently went out of Jerusalem to seek God. And on this day, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. 
Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Now, Gibeon is the great high place because the tabernacle of Moses was left there. Nevertheless, Gibeon is a high place because it is a dubious place of worship. God did not choose this city to, plead, to be the place to worship him. God chose Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant is resting. So the fact that Solomon worships at high places is a hint to us that he is as foolish as any other Israelite. Nevertheless, his regular pilgrimages and offering of a thousand sacrifices tells us that he seeks the Lord most earnestly. On account of his faith, God responds to Solomon's prayers. Their conversation reveals what's bothering Solomon, especially in verses 7 to 8, where Solomon says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. We see here that Solomon is worried about being the king of Israel, and he has very good reasons. First, I am but a little child. Now, Solomon is a 40 years old uncle already, yeah, so he's not talking about his age. Huh? Yeah. What he means is he feels small, yeah, unimportant, invisible. This could be because Solomon is number 10 out of 19 sons. Nobody expected Solomon to become anybody important in the kingdom since he's so far down the succession line. Moreover, compared to his brothers, Solomon is not as handsome, nor as popular, nor as ambitious. He doesn't even have great hair. Being overshadowed by your brothers your whole life can make you feel insignificant, even if you became king. This feeling is made worse by his lack of skills and accomplishments. He says, I do not know how to go out or come in. Literally, he doesn't know how to organize an army, nor does he know how to win a war. In modern terms, we will say that this man has no leadership qualities and no combat experience. How then can he successfully rule a nation surrounded by hostile enemies? Lastly, and perhaps the most worrisome, Solomon says Israel is a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Note here that great refers to quantity, not quality. If Israelites were quality people, very wonderful, huh? no problem. Huh? But as it is, there are just too many of them. Huh? And many people means many problems. I came across a quote which is attributed to Solomon, but I can't find it in the Bible. Yeah. If you can find the source, you let me know. Huh? But he says, all problems are people problems. Most people problems are people refusing to act like people. Inhuman, as it were. Solomon knew that the king of Israel has to deal with countless, endless people problems and is not feeling up to it. The chapter before our passage provides a useful summary of the people problems faced by the kings of Israel. There we are reminded of how David had to deal with murderous Joab, blasphemous Shimei, and loyal Barzillai. And there we see Solomon inheriting these people from his father on top of his own problems with his treasonous brother Adonijah and the opportunistic priest Abiathar. 
Time does not allow us to go through each of these colorful cases, but we should consider at least one of them in detail to appreciate the complexity of people problems and the limits of human wisdom. We'll use Joab as our case study. Now, when David was king of Judah, he made his nephew Joab the commander of his army. And Joab's career highlights include defeating the house of Saul at the Battle of Gibeon, which helped David become king over Israel, getting rid of Uriah the Hittite to cover up for David's adultery, reconciling David with his son Absalom after Absalom murdered his brother, defending David against Absalom's subsequent rebellion, and quelling also the rebellion of Sheba. Based on these accomplishments, we can tell that Joab is a long-serving servant and faithful accomplice of David, and no doubt a celebrated war hero in Israel. However, Joab is as problematic as he is helpful to David. This is going to get messy, so here's a relationship web to confuse you further. I drew this myself. Joab was problematic for David. For example, when Abner, the commander of Saul's army, defected to David, Joab did not trust Abner. One suspects it was partly because Abner is the one who killed Joab's brother. Thus, Joab lured Abner out and killed him. David was enraged, but he couldn't do anything except curse Joab with a grievous curse. Many years later, when David decided to replace Joab with another nephew, Amasa, Joab disguised himself, sneaked up to Amasa, and killed him. Eliminate the competition, as it were. David couldn't do anything to Joab because the entire army of Israel was behind him. Joab had become too popular and powerful to be removed. Entangled in a web of blood relations, regrettable choices and obligations, David left Joab to Solomon saying, Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jeter, whom he killed. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to Sheol in peace. In short, Joab is guilty. You are wise. Find a way to kill him. Not progress uh, for some reason. Because maybe the computer also liked my chart. Uh, Mel, can you help me? Okay. Uh, but when we're going back to the same chart. Uh, still cannot. Yeah, okay, same chart. Now Solomon has every reason to kill Joab because Joab had assisted his brother Adonijah to steal the throne from him. But like father, like son, Solomon pardoned his brother, forfeiting the chance to get rid of Joab. Fortunately, Adonijah didn't give up. He tried to destabilize Solomon's kingship. So given this new opportunity, Solomon acted swiftly. He ordered the execution of Adonijah and Joab and took Abiathar's priesthood. You would think then, now case closed, huh? but not so easy. Benaniah, who was sent to execute Joab, hesitated. How could he lay hands on someone up there who is like Mr. Lee Kuan Yew is to Singapore? How could he kill him? Solomon had to justify to Benaniah, no lah, Joab is not as honourable as Mr. Lee. Huh? He is a murderer. He should have died years ago. After some coaxing, finally, Joab was put to death. 
Now remember that Joab is only one of the many people problems that Solomon had to deal with as the king of Israel. David believed that Solomon had the wisdom to do better than he ever could, but Solomon didn't feel the same way. In all likelihood, he was traumatized by the unpopular decisions he had made, haunted by self-doubt, plagued by backlash from the people. If he can hardly deal with his own problems, how can he judge Israel with theirs? It's true, Solomon could have imitated his father, do nothing. But he of all people knew that failing to do justice at the first instance can multiply problems in the future. He himself was a victim of his father's dilly-dallying. Not knowing how to be king but ascended to the throne, it is no wonder that Solomon is troubled even in his sleep. Hence we see him going around high places to pray. Hence he went to Gibeon to petition the Lord for help. And when God graciously appeared to him, Solomon pleaded for wisdom. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people. During a company reorganization, a friend of mine inherited a difficult subordinate. This person, uh, whom we will nickname Justin, was hired to develop a system for the company, and he continues to operate that system till today. Because there is no one else who knows how to use this system, Justin thinks that he is, you know, indispensable to the company. Leveraging on this point, he resisted attempts to uh, expand his job scope over the years and refused to share the workload of his co-workers. He just did his own thing, which is honestly quite annoying. Recently, my friend was informed by her boss that a case has uh, been lodged against Justin. Apparently, Justin has been harassing a business partner. Shocked by the news, she texted me. My first thought was, oh goody, now she got excuse to fire him. Uh, of course, I didn't say that to her. Lord oh, have mercy upon me. Eh? But I did ask, will he be told to resign? Friend said, no lah, we're not PAP. <laughs> did I use workers' party yesterday? Yeah, just to be fair. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. No, we are not workers' party. Okay. Uh, the company will convene a council to review the case. She added that her boss told her not to share this with the other team members, keep it confidential, and not to judge Justin prematurely. This advice is much wiser than what I could have texted her. Whether prince or pauper, scholars or farmers, we all have our fair share of people problems. There will be Kit Kats motion lights, and blisters in our lives. Occasionally, we do encounter unbelievably selfish, unreasonable, and evil persons. Since we cannot always run away from them, and we must resist the temptation to become like them, we need wisdom to live with them. But what exactly is wisdom? Aristotle says, wisdom is the knowledge of first principles, whatever that is. St. Augustine says, wisdom is identical with piety, which is expressed through worship and devotion to God. In Taoism, wisdom is something that can improve the quality and duration of our everyday lives. Now the question is, who got it right? As it turns out, all of them are right. They sound different because they capture a different aspect of wisdom. 
In 2008, a group of researchers led by uh, this Carolyn proposed a scientific definition which draws together the various aspects of wisdom. I read this yesterday and everyone fell asleep. So today we're going to ignore the whole thing, ignore all the big words, and focus on the idea that there are three dimensions to wisdom. Knowledge, practice, and results. And I'm going to quickly run through these dimensions, drawing insights uh, from this book, which surveys the various forms of wisdom throughout history. So knowledge. Knowledge is the contents of wisdom. The building blocks of wisdom, including knowing ourselves, knowing how things work, knowing how the world goes round. Knowledge can be gained through instruction, learning, experience, as well as trial and error. Practice is the application of knowledge to real life. Observing people and circumstances, understanding what is really going on, and deciding on the best course of action is the practice of wisdom. Wisdom also involves responding well to other people's decisions and actions. The third dimension of wisdom is result. Wisdom contributes to personal intelligence, happiness, wealth and longevity, among other positive outcomes. And at a society's level, wisdom promotes civilization and culture, music and literature, science and technology. Therefore, wisdom is highly valued wherever you go, because it's supposed to result in greater good for everyone. Yet, human wisdom has limitations. Actually, it is more accurate to say that wisdom is limited by humans. First of all, as we have seen with David, Solomon, my friend and I, people are not always able to think the right thing and do the right thing, because there are so many factors to consider. We often find ourselves entangled in pre-existing relationships, weighed down by historical baggage, paralyzed by fear of consequences, all while trying to live by seemingly conflicting values such as justice and mercy. And even when we've settled on a decision, we just need one person to question us and we start to second-guess ourselves. Moreover, like all good things, wisdom can be abused and misused by sinful humans in a fallen world. And when we use wisdom for personal advantage, the results can be ugly. For example, a colleague who is skilled at navigating office politics can become a respected role model for others if they help co-workers get around difficult bosses and clients. But the same person can also become a detestable self-serving survivor when they use their cunning to deflect work or steal credit. Is wisdom overrated? No, it's just that humans are sinful users. But how can we hope to make good use of wisdom? How can we ensure that we are clever and wise instead of cunning and sly? Commenting on our passage, this commentator shares the following insight. Wisdom can be defined as knowing what the facts are, what the reality is, and then knowing what to do, how to act on the basis of and in response to the facts. Yet throughout scripture, real wisdom is something more. It is shaped and guided by the word of God. A truly wise person is aware of spiritual reality and that God and his word 
are the ultimate standard for this earthly existence for determining what is truth and how one is to live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because true wisdom begins with faith in God and obedience to his word. Returning to the three dimensions of wisdom again, I submit to you, when knowledge is anchored in the knowledge of God, when practice is guided by the word of God, and when result brings glory to God, then there is godly wisdom. Thus, when you are living with problematic people, do not be afraid. Fear God and choose what pleases him. Yes, yes, easier said than done. Huh? Okay, but we pray huh, that the God will give us grace uh, when we come to him in prayer. Coming back to our text now. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for wisdom. The Lord is pleased because Solomon asked for a gift that can help him to administer justice. In verse 9, we hear Solomon saying that he wants to discern between good and evil so that he can govern Israel. And the Lord saw that Solomon was not sleep-talking. He genuinely wants to discern what is right. Now, since the Lord is a holy and righteous God, he is delighted that Solomon has the heart to do justice. And we must commend Solomon too. For in spite of being painfully aware of his inadequacies, he did not run away from his responsibilities. When he could not trust himself, he trusts in God. He believes that if Almighty God chose a little child to become king, then Almighty God can turn that child into a king. From here, we see Solomon's faith. We must also commend Solomon for desiring to become a wise ruler for the sake of his people. He is done with dispensing cheap grace, going back and forth on decisions and passing the buck. He wants to lay down the law, judge between the people, acquit the innocent and punish the guilty. And at the end of chapter 3, we see Solomon doing just that. He judged between two women fighting over a baby with such force and certainty that he won over the hearts of Israel. Solomon's service to his country demonstrates his obedience to God. For his commendable faith and obedience, God rewards Solomon with bountiful blessings which answers all his personal needs. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Remember, Solomon felt small. Therefore, God blessed him with honor, so that the whole world came to see him. Solomon doesn't know how to fight battles, so God blessed him with riches and peace on all sides so that he doesn't have to lift a finger to attack other people or defend himself from them. And God promised that if Solomon remains faithfully obedient, then he will have enough time to enjoy all these blessings. God really takes care of his chosen ones, yes? How great is our God. Great for Solomon, but not for us, I hear you say. Indeed, the difficulty with this passage is the apparent uniqueness 
of Solomon. After all, he is the heir of David, a king of Israel. From his birth, he was called the beloved of the Lord because the Lord loved him. Solomon is the chosen one. Ordinary people like us cannot expect to be similarly blessed with wisdom and riches and honor and longer life, right? Of course, wrong. Listen, we are not inferior to Solomon. If you have been following our recent sermons on Romans, you remember that we are children of God. And if children, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We may not be sons and daughters of an earthly king, but we are children of the king of kings. And Solomon is just one of our brothers. Furthermore, our passage from Romans 8 today tells us three times that God loves us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And verse 39, nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see, you are as beloved as Solomon is. You are not ordinary. You are a chosen one. God desires to give you gifts. In fact, God has already promised to bless those who love him. As the saying goes, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Therefore, we do not have to wait for God to appear to us in our dreams. As his children, we can ask him for what we need right now. Yes, you can pray for power, you can pray for money, you can pray for miracles. I'm not going to stop you. But the wisest thing is to ask God for faith, obedience, and wisdom to live in love and peace with all men. Let us pray. Mighty God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful and loving Father and that we are your beloved children. We come before you now, Lord, in prayer, not knowing what to pray, but know that your Spirit will guide us. Father, you know that each and every one of us here needs a lot of things, wants a lot of things. We don't know how to ask, embarrassed to ask. But Father, you've said to us today, Ask what I shall give you. And so we dare to put forward what we need in our lives. Father, we pray that you will grant us courage. Courage to do the right things. Courage to say the right things. And if it is in our power, Father, let us bring justice to this world. Dear Lord, we need justice in our workplaces. We need justice in our homes. We need justice in our schools. Lord, you see, so many people are angry with each other. Even the movies have used this as a topic. People killing each other for revenge and so on. We need justice, Lord, so that we don't have to be angry anymore. 
and we can come to a place of reconciliation and peace. Grant us also, Father, a heart of repentance. If we are the ones who are being called names by other people, if we have contributed to injustice, if we are those evil people that we hate, that we have tempted to become these people, and that we're teaching other people to be such annoying persons. Help us, Lord, to repent of all these things, that we may become followers of Christ that will bring glory to your name. Father, we pray also for some of us who need to have power. They're helpless in their situations, but they want to do good. Lord, we pray that you see the hearts of these individuals and bring them into a position of power where they may be able to work for you, to serve your people. Lord, we need these kinds of people to rise up. Open the way for them, Father. Help them to be promoted. Grant them favor with the superiors. Help establish them, Lord, wherever they are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and grant us all hope that you are coming soon to administer the ultimate justice and that all of us will then praise you forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.